Promised, a podcast about the hope and good news of Jesus, always including God's promises to encourage you along the way and show you how much God really loves you. Welcome to Promised with Zach Cole. We're glad you're here. One of my favorite childhood memories of my dad is growing up and watching old action and or war movies. I mean, we, we must have drive, drove my mom nuts with all of the uh, war movies that involved old actors and World War II movies, Vietnam movies. Uh, it was something that my dad and I just enjoyed to just sit together and just watch. One movie that stands out in particular is an old movie called The Longest Day. It had a lot of famous actors, um, Sean Connery, John Wayne. I mean, <laughs> the two stereotypical representatives of men from both countries. Back then, you think John, you think America, you thought John Wayne. And I'm sure back then, you thought Scotland, you thought Sean Connery. Um, Henry Fonda was in it. Uh, Robert Mitchum was in it. So many other famous actors were in that movie. And it was a movie that revolved around D-Day in World War II. Uh, and they called the movie The Longest Day. There's a scene in the movie where you're on the coast of Normandy. Normandy, France. Nazi-occupied Normandy. And the buildup for Operation Overlord, the, the D-Day landing of the Allies invasion into Europe to take back Europe away from the clutches of the Nazis. There's this buildup to the movie to this point, And a few times it follows a particular uh, French man and his wife in their little house that is on the coast of Normandy. And they're always complaining and, well, the old man's always complaining and fussing about the Nazi occupation. And there's a scene in the movie when the viewers know that the invasion is coming, but this Frenchman and his wife on the coast do not, and they can see the the ocean there in Normandy. And there's a scene where the fog lifts, and all of a sudden, all over the horizon in the ocean is nothing but allied troop carriers, warships, the Allied Navy, and the Frenchman sees it, his eyes wide, and all of a sudden the naval bombardment of the beachhead begins. And it's raining all down this location where this Frenchman and his house is at. And it's just explosions are going off, and it's creating chaos. But the Frenchman is incredibly overjoyed. And he is thrilled. I mean, there's like, you know, dirt and dust falling from his ceiling because of the concussion of the naval bombardment. His house is about to fall apart. I think I remember the movie, he has a crucifix hanging on the wall. And he's so thrilled, he goes to get a French flag and he's cheering on the naval bombardment. And he's waving this French flag out the window and his wife is trying to come and bring him back into safety. And he's like, no, 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 no. And he's he's like, hoorah, hoorah, hooray, hooray. He's so excited at the calamity that's all around him because he knows that his 
salvation is at hand. Meaning, not when I say salvation here, I'm not meaning in a theological sense, but in a political sense. He knows that his political salvation is at hand. As he sees this allied bombardment of the beachhead in Normandy, he knows that the end is near. The largest naval invasion in history has just begun on this man's front yard. You might be sitting there thinking and wondering, why am I bringing this up? Well, whenever I study or read about the end times in Scripture, I can't help but think about this scene from the longest day. Any normal person would see a naval bombardment of that size and think of the horror and sure death that is raining down all over Normandy. Who would want to be living there? Right? But we read in this passage, Mark 13, verses 24 through 37. This is Jesus explaining the coming of the Son of Man, his return. And Jesus says, But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. That's pretty scary. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And I'm not going to get into the, if this is a literal, uh, should we take this literally? Should we take this descriptively? Should we take this? I think you should just read and just take what Jesus is saying here and apply it to the main point of what he's trying to make. And I'll get to that in a second. So let's continue. Don't get caught in the weeds of it is what I'm trying to say. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn, from the fig tree learn that its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. That's some very frightening language in this short passage. And this is just one passage in scripture that talks about the end times. If you're searching for end time stuff, you, you'll probably want to search for eschatology. That's the study of the end times or of the last days. Specifically for this podcast, we're talking about the last days as it references the return of the Son of Man, the return of Jesus, and what that will be like. And just like that naval bombardment of the Allied forces in World War II on Normandy, it's going to be cataclysmic. It's going to be frightening. There's going to be a lot of change to the world. But for those of us 
who know who is coming and know the promises that he is bringing. We're going to be like that Frenchman. When the world is falling to pieces all around us. We're looking up, celebrating because our redemption is nigh. Because our salvation is at hand. But unlike Normandy, our salvation, our eternal life, our and those of us who have died in Christ before will be bodily raised and we will experience the new heavens, the new earth, the creation renewed. All of the sad things coming untrue in this moment. What an awesome, awesome moment that will be. I want to look at some of the promises that are in this passage and think about what Jesus is saying here. A comforting promise, a very comforting promise is that the Son of Man will come. Why has You might be sitting there thinking, why hasn't he come back yet? There's a lot of horrible things that have been happening in the last couple of years. little fun fact, ever since Jesus left, there have been a lot of horrible things that have happened in history. I mean, you think shortly after Jesus left, the burning of Jerusalem happened. Surely early Christians thought that that was it. You think of the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, the bubonic plague, the Black Death. You think of all of these horrific things that happened in the 20th century alone. The Holocaust and other not as well-known Holocausts throughout the world where genocide happens at a cyclic rate almost, it seems. And it seems like things have always been cataclysmic and horrible. But what we do know is that when it's finally been enough, we don't know. We just read that the angels don't know, that the Son of Man doesn't even know when he is going to return. But the point is, not the scary things that Scripture tells us about the end times. That's not the point of why we revealed this information about the end of days. We're given all this information to realize and to find hope in the promise that Jesus is going to come back. He's not going to leave us to destruction here. He's going to come back. Yes, we may experience things like like the Christians in the Roman Colosseums experienced. Being thrown to the beasts for sport. We have brothers and sisters who are around the world right now. And if you're hearing this, and if you're in a a country where there's heavy persecution for being a Christian, hear this promise in this passage that Christ will return. He promised that he will gather his people from the ends of the earth. So even if you think you're in a remote place that's God-forsaken, that the land that God forgot. I'm here to tell you right now that Jesus is coming back for you as well. Take hope, find hope and comfort and peace in that. Another promise is that he will reveal what has always been true, that he rules over all things. 
That's in verse 26. When Jesus comes back, he's not coming back to be sacrificed. He's coming to save and to make all things new. To finally wrap it up. This experience that we have had with human history and sin. And will usher in the new timeline of perfect, everlasting life with him. With a glorified body. With no sin. No pain. No suffering. No disease. No sickness. That's another thing that we might easily miss. Is that we see the promises in scripture that promise healing. And for many of us, we've seen healing happen right now. But it's always a temporal healing. It's always a temporary fix for right now when it does happen. I'm very confident there's no one out there who's 2,000 years old living amongst us. But when he returns and raises all of the all of us who are in Christ from the dead that bodily resurrection where we're given our glorified body and we we will be healed forever in an incorruptible state how we were always meant to be in existence with the Lord that is a wonderful promise that is for us now but it has not happened yet It's a promise we look forward to. We also know that in this passage that he will reveal what has always been true in his, that his word is to be trusted. The same God who said, let there be light, is the same God who said, Lazarus, come forth, is the same God who held up bread and wine and said, this is my body, this is my blood, broken and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, is the same God who said, I will come back. I will return. And he's the same God who said that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He said that where he is, you will be also. He said that your sins are separate as far as the east is from the west. And he says that when you are faithless, he will remain faithful. So you can take God at his word. You can take Christ at his promises and place all your faith and hope in him. Bet the farm on the promises that Christ has made. And remember that these horrifying changes that are happening in right now and the horrifying changes that will happen in the last days, Jesus doesn't change. Jesus stays the same. And he promises to be there for you. This is what so many of us have been looking for ever since Jesus left. Maranatha, how long, Lord? Come quickly, Lord. To close out this episode, I also want to bring up another scene from the Chronicles of Narnia. And I may have mentioned this in one of the episodes prior to now, and I can't remember if I have or not, but bear with me. When Christ returns... 
and the dead in Christ are risen from the dead to a bodily resurrection. It reminds me of that scene in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. We're at the end after Aslan returns. Spoiler alert. You're not able to watch the Chronicles of Narnia and not observe Aslan and what he's doing and not see Christ. Aslan screams Jesus. And that was on purpose. C.S. Lewis on purpose wrote Aslan into his series to be a Christ figure. So when Aslan returns at the end of The Lion, Ridge and the Wardrobe, and we're shown the scene of inside the, the evil white witch's castle, where all of the characters and creatures who she's captured are were turned into stone in her courtyard. When Aslan returns from the dead, And in that moment when all of those statues start to slowly come back to life, that screams the resurrection and what it will look like. Loved ones who've been dead in Christ for so long will be back and we will see them again. And we will embrace them again. And we will spend forever with them. And Jesus, who made all of this possible. Once again, pay close attention to this passage here and what it is explicitly saying. Jesus is doing all of the verbs He's the one that is acting. He's the one that's returning. He's the one that is promising. He's the one that is doing for you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And when he returns, he's specifically returning for you. That is a wonderful promise from Jesus to you. And just like that Frenchman in the Longest Day movie, when we see Christ return on the clouds, just like he promised, and the world is falling apart, we can shout with joy when we shouldn't be shouting with joy, right? Because the world is coming to an end. But we'll be shouting with joy because we will see with our own eyes the promise of Christ returning. And we will see him bring his promise to reality of returning back to call all of God's children home. And that is good news for those of us who anxiously wait for him. To the one, he does not work, but believe in him, he justifies in godly. His faith is counted 
as righteousness. Romans 4, 5.